Hello, welcome to the Bruce Douglas Podcast. This is episode number three. I got my friend Nick Locke here with me. Hello, hey Bruce. I'm glad to be here. Good, good. I'm glad too. Um, This should be a fun little interview. So, are you ready for some uh, questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready? Just uh, go ahead, start shooting. All right. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit uh, about your parents? Uh, where Where are they from? Okay. Uh, so both my parents, uh, they come from uh, Cambodia. They, yeah, that's where they're originally born. Um, at least uh, my dad, he had the he immigrated to the U.S. as a refugee with his mom and his sister and two brothers to uh, basically fleeing the, uh, basically the Khmer Rouge, which came from the Vietnam War. Mm. They had to flee, so they wouldn't die, and it's pretty dark, but they basically got sponsored to come to a church, and then the church sponsored them to come to Minnesota. That's basically how they got here. Uh, my mom, she stayed in Cambodia, I don't know her really her story. I haven't really gotten into it with her. It's kind of hard to ask that kind of story, especially like it's still pretty close to them. Um, mm. The history of it, and they both had people die because of it. So it's kind of like a weird topic to get into. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I don't know. Yeah. So what kind of uh, struggles do you, do you know? What kind of struggles your dad went through, kind of coming here? Uh, Going through that, yeah, man. Uh, I talked to him uh, just a few times. It was a traumatic experience. It's really hard for me to bring it up to him because I don't want to, like, you know. I mean, he's pretty open about it. It's just, like, it's just really dark when he gets into it. Mm. Uh, that was one of, the, like, the, he told me this when I was, like, probably, I don't know, like, 13 or 15, just to, like, have me just kind of realize, you know, what he had to go through so we could have a life in America. It's a dark story, so it might be kind of like graphic. But like, as soon as like the, the Khmer Rouge was like going on, his dad, who, uh, they were like at their home. I think it was like uh, kind of like in the rural farmish area. But their dad was, uh, he was like a, he had some kind of ranking in the government or military. And like during the Khmer Rouge, the whole like basically civil war. The Khmer Rouge people, they were going after anybody that had status, that wore glasses, like it had any kind of power in the government. And they were basically like just killing those kind of people. So like the farmers or the people in the lower class would take over. So yeah, they're just going around executing a bunch of people that had that status. And my dad's, my grandpa, I guess, my dad's dad was one of those people that got killed. They like came to the house, told me a story, him and his grandma, his mom, hiding in the closet because the dad told him to go hide and those guys they went to go grab the dad and my dad's saying he could see through the closet through like the little shades or whatever mm-hmm. in between and like they basically made him go on his knees and they had like this it wasn't a baseball bat but it was like a flat like a cricket bat thing kind of mm. you know but, like flat and they basically yeah he had, went on his knees and they hit him in the back of the head and then he said that his eyeballs popped out of his head and he was dead wow and from that yeah they just waited until they left and then they basically that's when they started fleeing they're like yeah we gotta get out of here 
and my grandma, I think she was pregnant at the time, with my uncle, the younger brother, my dad's. And they had, they just had to book it. And so it was my dad and he had an older brother and a younger sister. And then his mom was pregnant. And they basically just had to basically try to get out of Cambodia um, just by walking. Um, they had to like kind of go around and with the, uh, discreetly, basically avoiding the, those those guys the older brother he told me that he got separated so they lost him and eventually in the future they find him he's find his way he found his own way over here but uh they're like story like they you know went through like a week without eating they were eating um bugs um like these little mud fishes in the mm -hmm. water um he talks about like just like having to walk as a child. He was like probably like five years old during the time, but he kind of remembers it pretty vividly. Um, but yeah, I mean, the best person to ask for that is like my grandma. She's spoken to me about it a couple of times, but it's like every time I try to like get into that conversation, it kind of like tears up and like it's just pretty traumatic. We've talked about like wanting to uh, record to get like a full on story. Mm. but I've talked to her like personally about it and stuff like that but she's uh, she, just, she gets really like emotional about it not saying that like, it's not that's funny it's totally, like, it's really traumatic but she just has a really hard time yeah talking about it without like having those emotions come up yeah I mean it's totally understandable like that I mean that story I think is very important because um, I want to be able to appreciate what I have and be able to pass on oh, what definitely. they went through because it's part of my history, you know what I mean? Yeah. And being a first generation in America is, yeah, it's kind of like a weird identity to have. Yeah. Um, has your dad ever talked about, like, struggles he's had here in, like, America once he kind of made it here? Because uh, I, I assume he's had to work, you know, pretty hard to... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure when he was younger, uh, he went to school, got to, went to high school. He might have got to, like some bad crowds, but he really never really spoke about that to me. But I mean, I know some of his friends were like involved in some kind of gangs back in the day. Mm -hmm. But I mean, more of his adult life—that's kind of what I know. He's just been working basically nonstop since he was able to work. Um, same with my mom as well. Basically, you know, rotating shifts. They would have, you know, my, I think my dad would work in the morning and then come home at night and my mom would go to work and that was just that entire time. My entire childhood pretty much. And then mm -hmm. they were off on weekends sometimes. But that's basically it. I don't know how, I don't know. That's just, yeah. just how uh -huh. it rolled. Yeah. So now let me ask you this. Who has influenced you the most? Like just anybody? Yeah. Like yeah. Anybody. anybody. Influenced me the most. It's very hard to say, but probably. Hmm. Who has? I think a big influence 
on me is probably my older sister, Kalika. Um, I don't know. Uh, probably we're pretty close in age. She's only two years older than me, but we kind of been around each other. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're siblings are always around each other. Yeah. But like, just kind of what she's done, and she's always been just available whenever I needed it. Mm. Um, we've definitely butted heads a few times, but that's just I think siblings in general. Yeah. But I mean, she's just the type of person that is, uh, just like authentic. She's caring. Uh, she's, you know, dedicated. Um, and that kind of like inspired me to, you know, do something similar or kind of follow in those, uh, footsteps or, you know, do something that I can, I don't know, make somebody, I want to be that person for somebody else. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm trying to go for. Uh, cause I know she's really, I don't know, she's just there if you need somebody to, if somebody needs her. Yeah. And that's kind of what I want to also be. She's also and, a nurse too, so I feel like that kind of goes yeah. with her her personality of just kind of being a caretaker. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she's you know she's been through a lot. I mean, our childhood wasn't the greatest for you know, a variety of reasons, but you know she left the house basically. She left. She moved out at like sixteen, which is crazy. Think about it. But uh, yeah, she moved out of Minnesota, went to Iowa found somewhere, you know, to live, working, went to college, or six, 17, I think she was 17, she got out of high school early, and she went to college, and yeah, dude, she's just been basically on her own since 17, and she made it, you know, she got her bachelor's, became a nurse, and that she's had that goal since she was probably in middle school or something. Mm. Wow. And she went out and a comedy would take you know some time, but she went out and got it. That's pretty inspirational. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy to find like just to know that's what you want to do and to do it. Like mm-hmm. she loves her job and everything about it, and it's just great for her. And like it kind of worked out like that because some people they go to college and get the job that they think they want, and it doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know if it's luck of the draw or she just really had that kind of self awareness. Yeah. Yeah, that's a it's a hard thing that to come across these days. And, oh yeah, dude, self awareness is huge. Um, so now I kind of want to. I want you to take me through what what kind of decisions led up to you joining the Air Force. Oh god, I don't know. If this is even the greatest story, man. It's kind of like, I mean, I don't know. Okay, so where was I? I think I'm 18 years old. Where was I? Uh, basically, out of high school. I joined at 19, that's what it was. Joined at 19 years old, out of high school. Went to college for, you know, on and off for about like a year or two. Dropped out of college because it just wasn't for me. It didn't have the maturity. It took me a little bit to kind of realize that I just wasn't ready for that kind of, I don't know if it's even right to say this, responsibility. Um, Because it doesn't really make sense when I go into it. But then I joined the military. But uh, yeah, I just wasn't ready. I just wanted to work Um, during that time. Parents were having some marital issues. Um, some like, just like it was, my parents were like, eventually they were going through a divorce. And just, it wasn't the environment that uh, I wanted to be in, basically. Uh, parents were fighting a lot. Um, and I think the big reason why I joined the military, I just needed to get out. Uh, it was, you know, I wanted to be a cop as well. And kind of things kind of aligned. 
I was going to get the experience of the military as a cop and then bring it back to the States. And then I also get to get out of Minnesota and get away from all that kind of stress. So it was kind uh, of like an yeah. escape for you? Anyway, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think a lot of people that do join the military, I mean, people do it for righteous reasons and stuff like that, but people I've encountered, you know, a lot of people are just kind of, they're stuck. They want to get out or wherever situation they're in. I've encountered a lot of people in the Air Force that kind of had similar kind of reasons for joining. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it was essentially an escape. Uh, it was on my mind, you know, it was always a consideration. I was like, you know, if I'm going to join the military, it's going to be the Air Force or the Navy. It wasn't the Navy because I can't, I can't swim. So <laughs> one of the Air Force just walked in one day into a recruiting office. I was like, hey, I think I want to join. So I go, what do you want to do? I, like, I want to be a cop. And being a cop is like the lowest thing you can be in the Air Force. <laughs> Anybody could be a cop in the Air Force. Yeah, it wasn't something special. Because <laughs> when you do your ASVAB, whatever, it's like you need 30 points or whatever. Maybe mm-hmm. that on your ASVAB test. And I got like an 80, 81 or something, or 82. But yeah, the computer tests um, to determine what kind of jobs you qualify for. But yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a cop. I said I want to be a cop, and I went and uh, was a cop. Hmm. Uh, they, they, yeah, basically, I don't know. I was working at Best Buy at the time. It's like I wanted to leave in like October just so I can have time to spend. I have some time to spend with people. Um, no, I left in February. Yeah, I left in February. 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 Sure February. I think it was February. Yeah. <laughs> February. Oh, I joined in February 2019. No, I got out in 2019. Where did I join? My, it's been so long. 2015. February 2015. I joined. Yeah. So went to you- Texas, San Antonio. That's what it was. Yeah. You're in for a total of so, four yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, four years. Yeah, a little bit over, uh, a little bit over. Four years, like a month or something. Uh, mm. I did extend a little bit in like Korea, but I mean, it wasn't anything big. But yeah, I went to San Antonio. Basic training was, I think, nine weeks, eight to nine weeks, and then I had to stay there. I went to technical college to be a cop, not a college, but technical school, and they do like. I got for how long? Two months, two, three months of uh, just trying to be a cop. Mm. Stuff like that, gun stuff, just tactical stuff. And you get your beret as a security forces in the Air Force, military cop. And yeah, I mean, I had to stay there for like a couple months because I had to get my wisdom teeth removed and I went to South Korea. Yeah, my first base. So uh, tell me, what was your... uh Favorite, most memorable experience from being in the military? Favorite, most memorable experience? I don't know, that was one. Uh, let me see. It's hard to just do one. Favorite, most memorable? Or one multiple experiences. Most, uh, I mean, my, one of my most memorable ones was, it was, a, it was an increase, I was like, was I went to uh, Maryland, Andrews Air Force Base. Yeah, I can't remember. It's been a while, though. But um, that's, I, uh, as a cop, you work on, like, the gates, you know, just checking IDs. It's nothing mm. nothing luxurious or fancy or cool. But, yeah, I was checking IDs, and there's this one general that always kind of comes through. He's, like, a four-star general. He's 
kind of like intense when you see a general because they're like it's not really common. But that base has a lot of high-ranking people because it's right next to the Pentagon, DC, and the Air Force One's there. But public knowledge. But uh, it's uh, but there's yeah, I was at the gate and this general. I see him a lot. We kind of talked a lot, but uh, four-star general talking to a guy who was like enlisted, you know, E4. Nothing special about me, but he just, you know, just take the time to just talk to me and have a conversation, treated me with like as a human being, and like it just it was just a weird experience, but I like, just felt, I don't know, like he's just really down to earth, and that's just, like that somebody with that much power and influence just kind of slowing down to talk to just anybody. Mm-hmm. It just kind of, I just remember like he just really stuck out to me like a just a genuine good dude. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> can't remember his name been a while i used to just think about it all the time but mm, yeah he was just really nice he's a marine marine force general hmm. can't remember his name I'm probably if i try to think about it when i'm done <laughs> when i don't need to know but there's that um but um, I, that's, I mean that's probably the most memorable i mean how Favorite was how was korea Korea, I mean, dude, oh, God. I mean, the whole military thing was just like, I don't even know how I did it, to be honest. It's pretty crazy. It's hard to, it's been like, only like, it's 2021. It's only been two years, basically, since I've gone out. But, it, it's a blur. Korea feels like I was not even there. It was, it was everything, Korea. My first base, crazy culture, like military culture over there. The base is known for, like, getting drunk. You know, everybody drinks heavily over there. That's just that's just the atmosphere and, like, the environment you kind of go into. It's just expected to just get, you know, drunk. <laughs> There's a huge drinking culture over there. The Korean people over there, very nice, very respectful. Um, I love uh, engaging with them and just kind of trying to, not trying to be in the culture, but, like, you know, uh, appreciating their culture and trying to be respectful as possible because like we're kind of guests in their country. Um, it was it was a good experience. You know, I met a lot of interesting people. Um, I love the food. Uh, work there kind of sucked. Um, every like in a few months or so, you would do these like base wide exercises, like basically like uh, practice wartime scenarios and you'd be preparing for you know nuclear attacks or gas attacks you'd have to wear these it's called like mop gear the what it stands for but like it's basically just radiation protection mm. you'd wear a gas mask and then like you'd be in the middle of the summer you're wearing this like basically like a winter jacket and winter snow pants and like these plastic boots or rubber boots and you're just like just sweating non-stop you working for like 18 hours a day and you just do it for like two weeks straight. Dude, it was, people were just passing out. It was disgusting. I mean, it was horrible. But, and the bugs, my God, mosquitoes. They don't talk about the mosquitoes. Oh, <laughs> they're so bad. But, I mean, in the winters are pretty bad over there as well. But, I mean, I, I would love to go back because uh, just, I love their culture, mm. their food. The people are really nice. How, how is the, the language barrier between... I mean, I think Korean or Hangul is, I mean, I, I could have, I, you know, when I'm thinking back, I, I wish I 
took more time to like be more immersed in their culture. But I mean, I was a young kid at like 19, 20. I just kind of want to do my own military thing. Um, but uh, I mean, a lot of the Korean people, they speak English. I mean, pretty like fairly well. Like if you can have a conversation with them, you might run to some language barriers. But I think us as like Americans speaking English, it's really easy to pronounce some of the words uh, Korean, like Korean language. I learned, you know, how to say, you know, greetings, hello, introduce myself, how to ask people, you know, their names, stuff like that. But, I mean, it's it's not that, I mean, for me personally, I don't think it's that hard of a language to kind of like pick up. Mm. The pronunciation is very, like, not as hard as like, I don't know, saying like Japanese stuff or, I don't know, Mandarin. Like, it's, I, I think it's just, not that bad but yeah I mean there's that barrier of course but I mean your demeanor everything you know just as long as you're coming off with like friendly respectful demeanor you're gonna be fine if you ever mm-hmm. travel over there to some it's huge for them respect um, I remember you telling me about going against going with the majority in the military can you kind of take oh, yeah. me through what that means or what that looks like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it's kind of hard to put it into words because it's more of like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I can't say for like every position in the military or what, but being, I don't know if it's every, just the military as a whole, but I can only speak for like security forces or like military police in the Air Force. Mm. But my experience of this is like, it's very, you gotta, I don't know, you gotta kind of go with what the majority, like, I guess, yeah, you gotta go with, like, what the majority is, like, agreeing on, or, like, what they want to do, like, just their attitudes, you know, um, for the military police, the, the main attitude is, like, you know, the very, you know, alpha, or very toxic, you know, uh, jokes, uh, just like I don't know how to really describe like they're just really like negative people with these negative jokes but that you know you know that kind of uh, you know what I'm trying to say I, I kind of do uh, understand those people who kind of yeah like it's just like their whole like everything they talk about is like negative but I like, guess in a joking manner but very dark and stuff like that they're like mm. and like being in the military it's even more emphasized just like kind of the dark humor that they have you know, like, dying, suicide, you know, stuff like that, you know, I guess you know, like, like, stuff like, go kill myself or something, or, like, you know, fuck me, or stuff like that, like, you know, like, just very dark, the whole environment is just kind of very negative, and then the also, like, the toxic mentality, um, it, it comes draining, and then, like, if you're a person that kind of isn't the, that doesn't share their kind of, same, like, overall majority of the people's attitudes and perspectives in the military my experience i like i was i got along with everybody i'll put that out there like i'm not going against anybody but like i've noticed how being part of like the group and like and seeing how the non-group people whatever were treated like if you did not agree with the group you get black sheep basically you just kind of get not like i was like you got you, you just people it's hard to word it 
but people treat you like an outsider if you do not kind of adhere to like whatever these unheard of like unsaid rules and stuff like that mm. you get treated differently you get you know worse shifts or worse or like worse conditions to like work in you might get like a worse post i mean it's nothing that's uh you might get picked on like hazing there's a little hazing yeah i've anticipated but <laughs> um but yeah you get like you know like these like the th- like they kind of treat them like less less than for no other reason just because like you're just not liked by the majority of the group it's pretty obvious but i mean anything like the group does to that person it's not like it's against the rules they're still working nothing that's being wrongly done towards them but they do get treated like worse and to get like the best experience in the military you want to be a part of that kind of group because when you're getting along with everybody you know it's less stress you have more opportunities you know you just kind of stay out of trouble because if you're on the outside group you get more of like a laser focus and people are going to look at what you're doing wrong it's, you have more of like a magnifying glass on you mm, interesting it's like the mil- yeah the military is just like it's really just like it's like a game you just gotta figure out how to play it but i mean it's really easy to stay out of trouble in the military i've seen a lot of people get in trouble but i mean it's just you know they tell you this like shut up in color that's basically it interesting uh it's just i don't know man it's just it's a weird that's rude to hard it's really hard to explain yeah um Let's transition to about uh, depression in the military. Because I know that's kind of a big factor. Uh, and it's not something you can really talk about, you know? Yeah, I mean, dude. I mean, just in general, yeah. There's, first of all, there's like a huge stigma just society-wise and stuff like that. And then tack that on with military, that perspective, like that environment. It's even harder. Yeah, it's already hard to do, like, speak about mental illness in normal society. And then when you go into the military with this kind of, you know, alpha, say alpha, like, just like a really, like, dominant kind of, uh, what do you say, dominant uh, attitudes. Like, you, you always got to show that you're strong-willed and show no weakness. And then, you know, these people see mental illness as, like, a weakness and they can't speak about it. Well, yeah, going into the military perspective of it, it makes it hard because, yeah, you can't show your weakness. If you get, if people see your weakness, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna get you for it. You know what I mean? They see you as something that's less than capable of doing their job. Me being, uh, you know, military police, I'm around guns, right? They're gonna like, there's a huge stigma. It's very obvious too, as well. Like they, the military pushes, which is like, I think, a, Air Force pushes, I guess, to try to get rid of that stigma. But it's very hard to kind of change people's perspective on mental illness. The Air Force is like, you know, if you need help, go get it. Uh, but, like, it's not it's not anonymous. They want you to feel like it's anonymous, but it's not. Uh, your chain of command, if you go see, like, a therapist, depending on what is going on, your chain of command will know, your commander your first sergeant they get notified that you went as a cop they take away your guns so you can't really work your job if you don't have guns and if you don't have guns then everybody else your coworkers know something happened it's very easy to put it together 
uh, without anybody saying anything. Mm. And then, you know, word of mouth travels really fast in the military because you're just around people that, you know, you're with them for like 12 hours a day. They're going to know something, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, going in, uh, definitely, uh, definitely had some like childhood trauma going into the military that you know, I joined to be escape this very stressful situation that I never addressed and going into an environment that's probably even more stressful. Uh, definitely just kind of pile it on and just kind of put it in the back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just kind of just throw it in the back, worry about it later. And then just time in the military, just kind of thing just kind of kept tacking on. And it got to the point where I needed to go and see a therapist. I'm like, you know, I was, I was really stressed. It just got to me. I, you know, I've had suicidal thoughts when I was uh, in, uh, and it's kind of, it peaked when I was in there, when I was in uh, Maryland. And I was like, yeah, this, you know, I had a conversation with my girlfriend. And she, she gave, I was like, she's a big reason why I went um, to go seek help. Cause like, you know, the whole, I didn't want to go because I knew if I did go, it's gonna, I'm gonna deal with, it's gonna start, it's gonna start the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what exactly what I was just kind of explained before is what happened. Um, the, yeah, she gave me an ultimatum. She's like, you got to go see a therapist or we're breaking up. Because <laughs> she was like, it's horrible. I hate ultimatums. They, yeah. Like, the worst thing, dude. Like, <laughs> I got So it you're just like, well, well. It me <laughs> <out>. <laughs> I guess we're breaking up. <laughs> we're, still, we're still together. Uh, but, um, I mean, she, yeah, all right. But yeah, yeah. She gave me that ultimatum: go to therapy or do something about it. Or because I mean, it's not really fair to her for her to have to like kind of deal with it as well. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not her responsibility. So yeah, I went to go, and man, it was it was it was a rough start. You know, it's, it takes a lot to go. It's like it's you just kind of admit that you kind of need help. It's not, not there's nothing wrong with asking for help, um, but just kind of being in that. Uh, environment of the military it, I think it just kind of makes it even harder because just showing that weakness that they kind of like indoctrinate into you that you can't show weakness because mm. the military is all about image image they want you to focus on your image you represent something bigger than yourself your needs come later the mission comes first that's what they push for you you know what I mean you've got to prioritize the mission the military's objective and then yourself but now the military is trying to flip that, not flip it, but like they're trying to address this mental illness dilemma that they have in the military. Yeah. It's a lot of people. I mean, and like before that, I even went to therapy. There's like a few people that I knew that, you know, killed themselves. Uh, these are people that like kind of entered. I mean, they were like, I wasn't super close to them, but I definitely worked with them. And it's just like people were like, came out of nowhere. You know what I mean? But I mean, it's not always signs, but mm-hmm. it's just like people will, you know, kill themselves if they don't get help. And the military kind of puts people in like a really like helpless situation because you can't just leave the military because you're, you know, contractually or you're under a contract. Um, there's ways to get out of it, but, you know, those are far in between. But you're just kind of stuck in that helplessness kind of. Uh, makes your mental illness worse depression or whatever you have going on mm. makes it worse and this it kind of it's a cycle you know what i mean you kind of get this 
once you get into the cycle of like helplessness, it just gets really rough. Yeah. But I mean, I I think a big reason why I was able to get help as well is because I was reaching the end of my contract. I knew the repercussions. I wouldn't have to deal with them for too long. I did it basically my last uh, like eight months, probably eight months in the military. Uh, I was like, yeah. I mean, if things were getting bad. I should. I, I probably could have or should have went earlier. But yeah. I kind of just, you know, in my head, laid it out. What was going to happen? So I can deal with whatever happened in eight months. Come out, and I'm not to deal with being in anymore. Mm. Um. But I mean, yeah, I think the big reason why I was able to go is because I knew that I was getting out, and then I'd be able to get away from all this and kind of put it behind me. Yeah. I mean, some people are stuck in for like, you know, six years or whatever, or they're dealing with this, these issues from the beginning and you're stuck, you're looking at another six, you know, five years that you have to go through. It's going to be a lot harder. Like if I was that person, I probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah. It's like that stuff, it does follow you, get a record. Uh, it does follow you that, you know, this person was, you know, had his weapons taken away from him for a certain amount of period. They don't go into the details of why they did. But it's just on your record, and people kind of put it together, what is going on. And then, like, you get treated differently. Like, that is kind of weird. Uh, people are like, what's going on, man? Like, people that, you know, aren't usually, I mean, this probably happens in normal society as well, but, like, people are like, you know, what's going on? Anything can do a help. People are kind of, like, watching more closely and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Making sure you're not going to kill yourself. I mean, I'm sure it comes from, like, a good... Uh, good uh i don't know what's the word becoming out of concern i think Mm. is what i know they're trying to but like when you're that person that's just kind of being watched you just kind of feel more pressure parts of like many of the times that i you know after you know coming out and getting help from my depression and going to therapy yeah there's a few like it's just you have so many more meetings like with your leadership, they're like, you know, what's going on? They're trying to like anything we can do for you, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, I don't need all this extra attention. I mean, maybe I do. Maybe that was just me trying to avoid talking about it. But I just, I, it just definitely made it. I, sometimes I did regret going to see therapy because of just kind of having to like constantly talk about it. Like every, like it became like, the main focus in my life and that's just it's not a fun thing to really talk about yeah uh, especially in the military like i'm like i try to keep work and my personal life separate and then like that's very personal like depression and then now like all my leadership is trying to talk to me about it now it's like getting mixed and i'm like damn this this sucks like i you know a lot of times i regretted it but i mean overall now looking back and not regretting anything i did mm. um uh, but I mean, I made it through it. You know, I'm glad I did. And I mean, I am a huge advocate for people getting any help they need, especially for like mental illness. Yeah. Um. So is is depression something that just kind of goes away after talking to a therapist, or you know, is it? <laughs> That's something that I. I mean, it's something I tackled with my therapist. Well, oh, yeah, my therapist. I don't think I'll ever forget her. I don't know if I. Uh, but yeah, I will never forget her. It was, it, was a, it was a process. But that's something, that's a question that I had to kind of go through. I never got an answer to it because, I mean, I don't know if that's an answer that could be, or a question that could be answered. Like I asked that question, like, you know, after all this, you know, therapy, 
and, and everything. Like, I don't see who, like, who would I be without depression? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's I don't know how to really, it's, it's kind of a weird explanation, but like, I see like depression, it's, it's like, because of my depression, I mean, I'm sure I've had it for like more than the time in the military and it kind of dates back, but just kind of been repressed or never uh, identified in me. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a therapist in the military, but there's a lot more. But um, I don't know who I would be without depression. I think it's shaped who I am as a person, uh, like shaped my identity. I think with depression, for mine at least, I can't speak for everybody, but I think it's something for me, emphasize that it doesn't go away right Mm -hmm. i just get better at dealing like handling or controlling the emotions it's Mm -hmm. something that i think it just kind of follow you know it may not be inside of me but it's something that's separate that's like following me you know this is this is what helped me get to where i am now it's definitely it's not depression it's a perspective for me it's a perspective thing it's not all bad um there's just dark thoughts and stuff like that but what they're you know some not rational thoughts is the thing, but it's something that I don't think I can ever get rid of completely. It's something that's just a part of me, not a me, but maybe a thing that's following me. Uh, it's gonna it definitely the thoughts from it still kind of pop, pop up, but I'm through the skills I learned through like therapy and stuff like that, just how to address like unrational thoughts and how to kind of work through these kind of dark uh, times. Um, it's made me like a more uh, empathetic person. Um, I definitely matured through it and it kind of just kind of helped guided me through uh, my life in a weird way. I don't know if that makes, I don't know. I'm not like pro depression, but it's definitely helped me grow as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely more in tune with my emotions and I can, you know, identify, you know, when I'm like, I'm going downhill, you know, this is just a rough time right now. Yeah. But like before back then, I wouldn't even know, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't even really understand my emotions or, like, you know, what, how to process them. But, you know, having depression and then going to therapy, I was able to, you know, become more self-aware of what is, you know, causing this to happen. Um, or like, why is this happening? How do I get through it? You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's just, it's just, so, I, overall, I think my depression's really helped me. So do you, overall. So do you After think, going to um, therapy, yeah. do you think just being aware of it is like the biggest part of, you know, helping it? No, I mean, being aware of depression and being aware that you need to, you know, get help in that kind of having that self-awareness like hey you know this is this might be i mean the big reason why i went to see therapy is like you know this is starting to get to this is starting to affect people or uh this is starting to affect more people or other people besides myself i mean mm-hmm. like my depression was kind of pushing outwards and affecting my girlfriend yes it was starting to get to her like just like the negativity of it and everything and that's when i realized like this is this is more than what I can handle personally and I need to do something about it or it's going to ruin the relationships that I care about. Mm. And, but like that kind of self-awareness, it's very hard to come to that realization until like you kind of, you kind of have to want to also, you know, see it as well. You can, it's really easy to just kind of ignore. I mean, that's probably my entire life. It's just 
ignoring signs and stuff like that, just kind of, you know, repressing it. Uh, I'm pretty good at repressing things, uh, especially like depression. Like I, I, I think I can turn it on and off and switch depending on my environment, you know, work, you know, I'm, I'm really good at just putting on a different face and hiding anything that's going on. But and so it's very easy. People were surprised when I came out and said that I had depression. But yeah, they were surprised because I was like the happy guy at work, whatever. I got along with everybody. No one really knew because I didn't want them to see. But I mean, yeah, uh, just that self-awareness that you know, first of all, you have to know that you have depression. And then, then you have to want to get help. And that's just like a whole nother battle in itself. It's mm-hmm. just kind of, it's just like ripping off, you know, the mandate. Cause it's just like once it starts, you know, like that's, that's the focus. Everybody's going to be concerned, you know, like you're, that's going to be your life for, you know, that, that moment. Cause you're kind of, it's a very vulnerable experience once you kind of go into therapy initially. I mean, the whole thing, I guess, is pretty vulnerable, but you get used to it. But initially, it's very, I don't know, it's scary because, you don't know what's going to happen once you kind of start revealing it because you've been just kind of internalizing it and repressing it this entire time. You're comfortable with that, those feelings because you've been through it so many times. Just being in that dark place, like you know, you know what it feels like. It's, I mean, it's not that it's a good thing, but it's comfortable. You get comfortable with, uh, uh, habits, you know, it becomes a habit and then breaking out of that habit and then going to therapy which is going to change everything because now you're talking about these things that are, we know that they're bad, but like having to talk about it, it's just, it's just weird. It's a weird, it's a weird, scary, uncomfortable, but a very good experience if you can get through it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely worth it. Um, but yeah, I think in the future, I would love to do something in the military, not as, uh, enlisted or officer or anything like that, but maybe like a, just like trying to do awareness outreach, you know, do some just, I don't know, speaking on it mm. with the military, trying to be more, uh, more open about it with mental illness. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, when the therapy I went through, you know, I had my individual sessions. I did some group, group therapy sessions just so we could just talk to each other and meet other people. I mean, that was a pretty good experience, just group therapy in general, just talking to other people. Different branches, different branches, different, you know, ranks, everything. But just talking about depression, how it affected them, just seeing a different perspective on it. Mm-hmm. It's, it really is kind of eye-opening, like, to know. It's kind of weird. I, I, I kind of cringe at it. But, like, people are like, you know, you're not alone. I hate, I, I, for me, I, I don't like it. I hate that. It feels so, I don't know, cliche. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it, but once you, like, kind of, I don't know, it's like, because, with depression, you kind of get into your own bubble, you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. You're like, you know, this is very dark, you know, no one knows what it's called, like what it's like to go through, but there are people that understand, I mean, they all know exactly what you're going through, but they can understand your feelings, or mm-hmm. they may have, like, similar feelings towards, like, how dark things can get, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, just knowing that there's, like, there's people out there that understand or have been through something similar, and then they can get better, or they're, you know, they're working through it as well they know it's not easy it's kind of uh like reaffirming yeah the stuff that you, that you can get through it um you know that you're, you're you know you you kind of compare yourself to other people I'm like you know maybe it's not that bad you know maybe it's you know if these people can do it i can do it as well mm-hmm. like that it's 
and just I don't know, just knowing that you're not the only one struggling with it. Yeah. Or going through it, it's kind of yeah, it definitely reinforces you to keep going. Um, during yeah, when I came out, like it was like, yeah, but like when I towards the end of my time in the military, they were like my commander uh, was asking me to go on stage and talk about my process of depression, like going to therapy. I'm like, bro, dude, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I want, like, part of me wanted to do it, but I didn't, I didn't say bro, because, you know, he's, but you, you didn't do it. <laughs> In my head. I didn't do it. No, I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. Do you, because do you almost regret not doing it? I, a part of me, I do, but I don't know if I really do. Like I wanted to do it, but like me, I just didn't have, for me, I, it's probably something that I probably should address. But I not feel like I didn't have stake at the moment. No, I mean in the moment. I mean I, I mean I'm a, I was a person that was going through depression, but like my depression, I don't think it came from just exclusively from the military. I um, mean, you know, you meet people in the military, they go through some like some really bad stuff. You hear their stories stuff like that. I'm like, man, and I'm comparing my trauma with theirs. I'm like, I can't. I mean, first of all, I shouldn't be comparing traumas whatever my depression to somebody else's because totally different things mm-hmm. it's bad for me but you know but like it's just like it's just like you know if i, I thought about it go on stage and stuff like that and have something to speak on it but like you know i i don't think it would have that uh impact on people it probably would honestly you never know you know, I just, yeah i know i know I, like even if i reach out to one person then it's just worth it doing it mm-hmm. but i just don't think i was during that time, it's just still, it's still pretty fresh, just kind of going to therapy and stuff like that. Kind of a I vulnerable think, spot. Yeah, I mean, like, I'd be talking on stage to, like, 300 people. 300 other cops, you know what I mean? Yeah. Dude, I, the thing is, the cops are in the Air Force, the people I explain, not all cops, or whatever, military. Um, dude, you know, they're everything that you can expect them to be there. <laughs> Everything, everything. I don't know how to explain. Like, toxic, homophobic, uh, racist. Not, I mean, jokingly in their way, but like, it's very. I mean, is it is it jokes or is it serious? Like, it's everything yeah. in between. Any negative, any uh, ist, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're in the crowd of cops and somebody's speaking on a topic, they're gonna say everything wrong about the topic that you probably should not say to a normal person or to anybody. But yeah, I was like, because I've been in there, in the crowd, listening to somebody speak and just hearing the cops. Like, I just don't know if they would want to hear it. Because like, I would think they use it as a defensive mechanism as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd laugh about it, joke about it. Because that means that, you know, I don't have to address my own problem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's not like a slight towards me or anything. But I just don't know if I would have had an impact uh, at the time. I don't know if I could have spoken with in front of 300 people about, you know, depression that I just recently came out with and, you know, still working on. Yeah. That's, I mean, it'd be cool. Maybe one day that'd be a cool, uh, experience to do. Uh, but I mean, I, I know I met a lot of people that needed, you know, wanted to go to, you know, seek therapy after I got out, uh, or after I, I revealed it to myself that I needed to go to therapy. There's, there's a few people that came out to me and kind of asked questions. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm more comfortable talking to people like one on one about it. Yeah, whole group, I'm like a whole like theater room full of people. It's kind of a weirder 
uh, thing to do. But yeah. I mean, after I came out with it, my depression I had a few people ask questions about it. I was as open as I could be with it, whatever I was comfortable with. Just kind of explain the process because, like, I think what kind of scares people to not get help is just kind of like they don't know what to expect. And I think if people knew, kind of like, I mean, every scenario is going to be different, but I think if people knew, kind of some kind of idea what was going to happen to them or how the process works, they would be more inclined to go. Mm -hmm. I think I did, you know, kind of make that impact on some people, but whether they went or or not, I don't know. Yeah. But, Um, I mean, yeah. So you're no longer on the path of becoming a cop. <laughs> what what made you change your mind about not being one? Uh, being one. <laughs> That's what changed my mind. Being one for four years. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, since I was young, I wanted to be a cop. That's just kind of where I was. I just wanted to be in a position where I could help people, you know, that needed help. Uh, so I saw cops as like these very virtuous, uh, you know, p- people that, you know, had integrity. Integrity is like a huge thing for me. And, you know, lo and behold, integrity was a big part of the Air Force as well. Integrity first. Um, and then, you know, I thought it would, uh, my experience in the uh, military as a cop would translate well into being a cop in regular society. But, um, just the experience, just the negativity, the toxicness, and, like, the very dominant personality that you need to have as a cop. I mean, you don't need to have it, but, like, when you're around those people, you kind of need to have it, or you get kind of stepped on, like I explained earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very draining, especially if that's not your personality that you normally have, if that's not you. Like, me, I'm, like, I'm pretty passive. Like, I, I mean, I'll do, like, I'm, like, whatever about everything. I don't need to you know, uh, be very toxic or, you know, tr- I don't know, like, you know, have these, like, really, I don't know, the jokes that they have, like, I don't really care for it, but, you know, I'll laugh or whatever so they can feel comfortable at their own jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it's like, when I was a cop in the military, it's like a whole identity switch that I have to kind of, like, put on this, like, mask that probably kind of influenced my depression. But, um, yeah, just putting on a different mask and like being that role that I put this, I mean, I put this image of like how a cop should be in my head. And that's how I tried to express it and try to be is what I explained as being alpha, alpha man. Um, and it's just very tiring and exhausting. And, you know, it's just not who I, who I was. That's what I realized. Like, I don't want to be in that kind of position. I mean, I, I, I mean, I like cops. Like I, I could, I, if, you know, everything falls out. And I actually, I don't know if I could be a cop anymore. I'm, my body's pretty busted. But <laughs> I wouldn't mind going back, you know. I could see myself. I mean, just in, like, community work, you know what I mean? Being a community, you know, outreach, stuff like that, mm. interacting with the community. That's the kind of cop I would want to be. Not, like, trying to always, you know, track a cop, write people tickets, uh, you know, arrest. I mean, I don't really care about arrest. I mean, I've arrested a few people. But it's just part of the job. But, you know, I want to be more kind of being part of the community. I think that's kind of the direction I want to be with the cop. Mm-hmm. But, like, being in the military, there's definitely zero of that, right? Yeah. And I, I think just, like, my negative experience of just being a cop in the military kind of definitely 
is how I feel like how it would be in normal society. Probably it's not the case. It doesn't translate completely, you know, one to one over. But I just, I, don't know, I just know that I probably wouldn't be able to do it. I, mean, I probably could do it. I just don't want to go through that kind of environment again. Yeah, yeah. Just gotta see how cops in general are. I mean, I went from like Korea to Maryland, meeting totally different people, right? Different bases, different walks of life, all across the U.S. Mm-hmm. That were on those bases, and the cops mentality it was just, it was all the same. You know what I mean? So I don't know how much that would change coming into like interesting the u.s and, uh how, how do you think the training went do you think they were teaching like the cops the right things especially with kind of what's happened in this past year with you know the whole george well, floyd thing and then the other incident and you know uh i mean i'm in the military today. i mean uh from what i learned right uh when i was there, I went to basic and i was in technical school be a cop it's it, it, you don't learn anything about de-escalation uh or anything like that it's my experience i mean i'm sure it's changed now with everything that's been going on but uh, it's you know you it's all about you know self-defense you know protecting yourself protecting others basically just like essentially there's no in the military there's not much law enforcement training it's mainly just security. Mm. Uh, I did some law enforcement stuff, but it's mainly yeah, security. You know, sh- something's in danger. You're in danger. Somebody's in danger. Something, you know, national critical infrastructure is in danger. You shoot the person. That's just literally it. You know, you they kind of, uh, what's the word? Um, I can't think of the word. Like, we're, uh, make the idea of killing somebody not as bad, but I'm sure the word for it. Um, uh, but yeah, so like they make, they try to lessen that impact that you would have or you would feel on like killing somebody because I mean, if you have to, uh, they train you to like just essentially shoot somebody, just kind of repetitive, uh, actions, you know, shooting at targets that are in the shape of people and you know, where to hit a person in the like where to aim for stuff like that. Just kind of repeat these drills over and over again mm-hmm. and you become more okay with it right yeah it becomes, it becomes like an instinct so you don't think about it they try to ingrain that instinct into you and then you say so you don't really kind of have to think about it which is kind of a dangerous thing to do because like if you're always just reaching for your gun you know what i mean you shoot somebody mm-hmm. you don't understand your impact that you're gonna have but i mean towards the end of my enlistment uh probably the last year before the whole george floyd thing and everything and all the blm stuff um they did try to do more law enforcement training and de-escalation. Um, I remember I had to do like, we did like this domestic scenario, uh, violence or yeah, uh, scenario. Basically we're using like simulation rounds. Like it's like fake bullets, right? But there's actually like a projectile that comes out and you shoot mm. your gun. That's pretty cool. Uh, it's like, yeah, it was, it was like a, use your real gun, but like, yeah, you change the barrel out and stuff like that. So you can shoot these fake rounds, but the actual projectile comes out so you can see if you hit somebody. Well, like you do these scenarios, like I'm, I walk into a room, this guy, he has a knife, like waving a knife, it's like a, you know, plastic knife, I'm wearing shit, I got my vest and everything. And you try to like, try to talk him down, you try, they try to teach you de-escalation, you know what I mean? Uh, get him to like, so you can arrest him, you know, or yeah. put anchors on him to make everybody safe. And, you know, but, you know, they do charges and you shoot him. It's just like, 
they want you to be okay with shooting somebody. You track, you know, you practice shooting each other just so you get used to it, stuff like that, over and over again. Do all these drills. Interesting. Um, now, I mean, with the George Floyd thing, I think they're for. I don't know. I don't know how police are now, but I don't see too many things where like there's de-escalation. Um, yeah, I mean, the George Floyd thing was, I think, just really unacceptable. But I, I mean, overall, there needs to be like a whole uh, restructure of military, I know military police training, just de-escalation techniques, and you know remembering that these are like real people and like you know just because people commit you know some crimes police are not allowed to just shoot people you know what i mean mm-hmm. people everybody's you know has the right to go to court you know plead their case if they you know guilty they're guilty but everybody deserves to go to court and police need to i don't know there's gonna be, be a firmer stance to police um i see more like having police have like a police board like doctors and nurses have that they have to go up for um that you know make sure that everybody's doing the right thing um to me i mean everybody just needs to be held accountable for whatever they're doing yeah you know criminals police there's no exemption of that fact either um i'm taking things in a complete different direction here um kind of want to talk about uh your relationship with uh, Jessica. Okay. How long have you guys been together for? Uh, it's been over five years. I'm really bad at counting. Five years and what? Uh, two months. <laughs> March, April, May, June. Five years and three months. Okay. <laughs> Horrible at it. Um. But yeah. Five years and three months. How'd you guys meet? Uh, yeah, we met online. <laughs> on, uh, on on Tinder? Typical, on Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Korea. Uh, I was working on a Korean base. Uh, Guang, Guangzhou? Something like that. Guangzhou or something. Uh, Korean base. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing just doing this like joint exercise with the Korean Air Force and the U.S. Air Force flying F-16s together. Basically, we practice. Um... Yeah, I just was on base, and you know, I was I was a Tumblr boy. You know, she followed me on Tumblr or something, or she asked, uh, or I put an ask, like question, whatever, you know, asked yeah. my father yep. that question or something, and she responded to it. Then we kind of exchanged Snapchats, and then Snapchats just talked on Snapchat, and then we just kind of went from there and just started talking, and that's just kind of how it went. Uh, during my time in Korea, I went home for a little bit, and then she flew over to Minnesota, and that's when we first met, and, and yeah. Was it, like, official before you guys met, or was it, like, you met, and then you're just like, okay, this is a, this is, like, <laughs> a thing now? No, I think we, I mean, uh, it was very, I mean, I sounded nervous uh, meeting her, uh, because, I mean, you know, just meeting her in person was just different, but we, like, you know, we talked a lot, we called, the video calls and stuff like that, so, like, it wasn't, like... It was, I mean, it was a little awkward, but it wasn't as awkward as I think people would expect. Um, we, like, we talked like all the time, video call, chatting. We got to know each other pretty well as well. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a bit of a shock when seeing her first. Where, where does she live? Oh, she lives in London. She's in, in London. London. And how have, London, you, yeah. how have you been able to manage a long-distance relationship? 
for this long? Oh, dude, I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, I would say number one. I mean, I think you could probably you know say this about like any relationship. Truly, um, the number one thing would probably be uh, just trust. You know, that's probably number one, especially in longest relationships, but also probably in any relationship. You just have to be able to trust your partner that you know they're not, you know sleeping with some other person you know mm-hmm. I mean that's like I mean, me I have no way to check uh, and then me just having if I didn't have trust in Jessica then our relationship would have probably failed in like the first like month or something like that yeah because there's no way I can you know verify whatever she's saying I just have to believe her for what, she, what she's saying and that's trust is important on any kind of relationship you just have to trust your partner that they're not doing anything that would uh, hurt you or you know damage your relationship yeah and you just, you know, you just have to trust them until they prove you wrong. That's just, and if you lose that trust, then your relationship is very fragile. Um, but I mean, that's took years to, and time and luck to develop this kind of trust I have with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and communication is key as well. Um, kind of just remembering, remembering that you guys, you know, you're a team together, you know, um, your partners, right? You make sure that wherever you have these arguments, that you're working towards resolution together, mm. not fighting to win the argument. I mean, it feels good uh, when you do win, but that's not the goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't be the goal. It's about working together and kind of reaching this compromise or whatever's going on so you guys are on the same page. Because the end goal is you guys want to, you know, still be together and, you know, both be happy with whatever the end result is that's mm-hmm. just you know sometimes you know you know, check your ego your pride you know whatever it doesn't really matter uh especially if you know you care about the relationship you know it's okay to you know say you're wrong you know take responsibility for what you say yeah hold your partner accountable as well it's just i mean trust and communication i think are just the bedrock of a like, foundation of like any yeah. good relationship uh take me through uh some of the downsides of the long distance. Oh, I mean, I think an obvious one would be just uh, not being able to see uh, each other, you know, physicalness, mm-hmm. being close. Um, I mean, in the past, we, we, uh, we alternated see each other like twice a year, basically, for like a month, maybe, or whatever works. Uh, that's basically yeah. We saw each other basically, you know, two to three times a year. We'd, we'd stay for like a, like you know, a few weeks or a month or something, and you know, see each other again in another six months. That kind of set uh, uh, time, the time difference. Right now, she's six hours ahead. Uh, it's very. It can be hard to kind of communicate to one, one another. She sleeps a lot. You know, she sleeps at a normal time. Um, so you know, I speak to her. When I can, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of sucks. I can't, you know, just, I mean, I could hit her up whenever I wanted to, but just try to sleep if, uh, later on in the day. I'm more active at night, and she's, you know, of course, asleep. So it just kind of messes my schedule up, who I am. But, I mean, you know, I wake up earlier so I can speak to her, and there's that kind of compromise, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, then, yeah, I mean, that's basically... Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the biggest thing is that we just aren't able to be with each other 
is that yeah that's just the downside for me I don't know I'm sure there's other things but I don't know I think that's it yeah now do you plan on uh, moving moving in together at some point in the future Uh, yeah definitely uh, in the future uh, probably in the near future actually once I finish school here um, gonna work and get a job, of course. But yeah, get a job. Um, we have to get married first, and then we work on her immigrating to the United States. Probably in a couple of years here or something, like two to three years probably is when maybe she can come over, or the process will be started. At least in two years, the process will be started maximum, mm-hmm. and we'll see how long the process takes. It's a process. It does a lot of documents and stuff, and interviews my mommy and my parents know all about it so they're definitely gonna be somebody i lean on to guide me through this process but uh i mean yeah pretty excited she's yeah she's she's the one that's going to be coming over over here she's to start being an american um currently in iowa gonna go to minnesota and you know that's find a place get a house that's the plan that's it. Solid. Live the American dream, I guess. Yeah. Typical <laughs> dream, yeah. I mean, you deserve to after uh, what your parents have been through, so, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not somebody that uh, chases, I guess, wealth. I'm like, what my parents experienced and how they lived their life has taught me is to... Just kind of live my life that how I want to, how I want to live it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My parents, they they want me to be, uh, you know, rich, right? You know, million dollars in a year or more. You know, I always keep grinding. I mean, that mentality is okay uh, if you have that drive, which, you know, I won't shame anybody for having that drive. But, I mean, it's also, like, I've seen what it did to my parents as, you know, their children. Mm. they did not um, spend too much time with their kids. You know, they were always working, um, just trying to, you know, get more money and to buy more things, whatever. And they're trying to make our lives more comfortable, of course, uh, as their children, making sure that we had, you know, a stable household. Um, but, you know, just losing out on that time with their kids, you can't get that time back. You can always earn more money, but time is, you know, irreplaceable. Uh, I talked to my mom. She worked basically like 16 hours a day or 18 hours a day for my entire life, I guess. Uh, until I was like, moved out, uh, until I was like 18 or 16, 16 or 18. Wow. Somewhere around there. She worked, yeah, every, every day, uh, uh, on the weekend she'd probably work, she'd work one job as well. Um, sometimes she had three jobs, but uh, when I talked to her, I'm like, how did you do it? Or did you train anything? She said that she would, not work as much after all that you know she's like she's she's you know super comfortable now she has a big house you know she can get whatever she wants um but one thing she regrets is just not spending more time with the kids she wish she told she told me that she wished she did not work as much so she could just, you know live spend more time during our childhood because now we're all out of the house and she just regrets just working too much and that's kind of where i don't want to be is just kind of missing out on all those moments opportunities so my goal in my life is just 
being comfortable. You know, I'm not somebody that's going to be chasing wealth, but I'm going to get to, I'm going to get to the point where I can live comfortably and, you know, get things that I need or want, if I, you know, but I don't care for, you know, the million dollars that they try to push me to get or mm-hmm. my dad does. But I, you know, I want to be able to take care of myself and the family I have and pay all my bills and I'm comfortable, you know. That's, yeah. that's my goal and that's what my happiness would mean to me. Last question here for you. What would you, uh, what would you leave with these listeners here in these last uh, couple moments? What's something you could, words of wisdom you could tell them or words of a, wisdom a quote um, or something something um i don't know let's see probably go for a few points here uh people that are aspiring to join the military i uh do your research <laughs> know yourself we you know what you're getting yourself into it's definitely uh it's hard um but it is what you make out of it um you can definitely do it just make sure you have the right mentality for it now Mm-hmm. Keep your head down and keep going forward. If that's what you want to do, make sure you, you know, hopefully you don't do it on impulse like I did. Um, do it for the right reasons. Uh, there's a lot of benefits to going in school, you know, getting to travel a little bit. Um, but, you know, uh, you, you know, it definitely sets you up pretty well for your life in the future. And uh, taking advantage of, like, the GI Bill for school now, that's you know, just huge pluses for it, but then also understand the risk associated. You're going to be away from your family. It's a stressful environment, but it, you know, it definitely excelled me to become more independent and mature. And I don't know where I'd be if I didn't join. I don't I have zero regrets joining. And then, um, I mean, there's that for those military people. Uh, um, and, uh, I don't know where I want to go with this. I mean, we went everywhere, but you know, just touch on mental illness. You know, that's a huge thing that's still going. You know, it's always been a thing in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, we definitely do not speak about it more, or as as much as we should. Um, you know, it impacts everybody, one shape. You know, one way or another. Uh, it might not be you, but you know, the person next to you. And you know, there's no shame in speaking about it. You know. Um, Get help if you need it. You know, you reach out, reach out to people that you're concerned about. You know, just check on them, ask them if they're all right. You know, spend some time with them, um, and just just be there for people and have that empathy. I think that's all I got. Mm. Love it. Well, Nick, thank you uh, for your time today. It was a great conversation we had. So. It's nice to hear a little bit more about you and your background and kind of what you've gone through and yeah. your experience with depression. Hopefully this can help somebody who's dealing with something to get some help or, you know, at least have a different perspective on it. Hopefully one person at least. <laughs> I think so. At least I hope somebody takes something from this. <laughs> I definitely not, you think know, so. We try, but, uh, you know, I think there's something that somebody could take something out of this yeah definitely but thank you yeah man I appreciate it and uh yeah you'll be uh seeing this posted up and on Sunday so okay I'm nervous (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, brother. It was good speaking right. with you. Thank you, Bruce. Yep. I appreciate it.